Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Your branding and website are the first things your audience will see. In the ever-expanding world of ICOs and blockchain startups, you need to stand out from the pack. OnRamp is a full-service creative and design agency that will help you amplify your brand with a perfect website, logo, collateral, or custom design project. Get big results in no time by visiting thinkonramp.com. Smart contracts are on the rise, and that trend will only continue. Security has become an absolute necessity, and QuantStep is the standard for smart contract security for the blockchain. With a team of security experts dedicated to defeating the bad actors, QuantStamp is the gold standard for safer, more reliable smart contracts. Find out more at QuantStamp.com. My guest today is Andy Bromberg, founder and president of CoinList. Welcome, Andy. Thanks for having me, Laura. As president of CoinList, you get pitched a ton of projects. Over the last year, as regulators have been making their moves, how have you seen token models evolve? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And we've seen them evolve a lot right alongside sale models evolving and really everything changing. What's so important to remember here is that, you know, the ICO industry is really only about a year old, maybe a little bit more, at least in its modern form. There were, of course, a few before that. Uh, And so we're just seeing these models evolve right now. I think we've started to see the token models change uh, real trends towards more models that include staking components, uh, real trends towards more thoughtful consideration of all the participants in the system. And I think it's just a a sign of the maturing industry that early on, there was a real land grab where there were a few high quality projects, uh, and then a huge number that were just trying to capitalize on this idea of raising an ICO, and did not give a lot of thought to the token models and the token economics uh, for their networks. And now I think people have taken a step back, the markets calmed down a little bit. And we're now seeing a little bit more thoughtful uh, consideration of, of those token models moving forward. And I think we're going to see a lot of different ones start to emerge over the next couple of years as the industry matures even more. And when you say that people are starting to look at different ways of staking and also to engage participants, what exactly are you seeing there? Yeah, so it really varies token to token. And I think the the key thing to understand here and the thing that we see out of the really good projects and see missing from most of the really bad projects, and just to give a sense of scale there, you know, CoinList has worked publicly with five token sales in the last year, and we've had more than 2,500 inbound. Uh, and that's not a bandwidth problem wow. for us. That's a, <laughs> that's a diligence process. Yeah. So staggering numbers of projects. And, and of course, a lot of those are, are fraud uh, or scams, but a much larger number of them are just what we see as low quality, maybe well-intentioned people not trying to scam anyone out of their money, but really haven't thought through whether or not they need a token and what the token economic model uh, should look like. So when we talk about token economics, what we're really thinking about is is two things. One, when you look at all of the necessary participants in the ecosystem for that token, are they all properly incentivized to do a good job and to do their jobs? 
And are they, you know, earning enough tokens or being rewarded enough to do the right thing? And then the secondary piece is, uh, are all of the potential bad actors in the system, all the people that could try and attack that token network in one way or another, are they appropriately disincentivized from doing so? Are there appropriate penalties in place? And so I'll just give a quick example. When we think about Filecoin, which was the first uh, sale that Coinlist worked with, you've got people with files to store, you've got people with storage space, and you've got verifiers on the network who are verifying that everything's happening correctly. And each of those three parties needs to be seeing appropriate upside from the token network in order to do their job. And at the same time, there have to be appropriate disincentives to prevent you know, someone who's storing files from lying to the network and saying the wrong thing and trying to attack the network or from another party to try and submit false verifications. And so the token ecosystem really needs to, through mechanisms like staking and and other other mechanisms, reward the good people and penalize the bad people. You mentioned Filecoin, and I know that your model at CoinList is to sell is to offer securities during the sale. And then as the teams work to build the network, presumably what they are building is a, a, a network that has a token that will not be considered a security, but will instead be considered a commodity or a utility token. So for something like Coinless, where you, know, or, uh, where you follow that model, and now you've seen that the SEC is sort of hinting that tokens can maybe at the time of sale be considered securities, but then maybe evolve into non-securities. Do you feel like your model has been vindicated? And do you also now see in the pitches that come your way that they are also trying to trend in that direction? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's something that when we got started a year ago, we believed and have just seen increasing evidence over the past year that, that it's the case. This idea that you can sell something, whether it's the token or an instrument that represents future ownership of that token, like a SAFT, that is a security under the relevant securities laws of whatever jurisdictions you're selling to and from. And then at some point, something could emerge from that network that is a non-security. It's something we believed in, something we've seen increasing vindication on, you know, uh, whether it's uh, the chairman of the SEC, Jake Clayton, saying, uh, alluding to the idea that these things can tra- transition, whether it was been Bill Hinman at the SEC saying that, you know, Ethereum is, is no longer a security. And Ethereum, of course, had an ICO. So the idea being there that perhaps... It was a security at the time of the sale and then is no longer one. All vindicates our model. We're seeing a lot of companies come to us where I think the challenge is there is that the line of when something transitions from being a security to a non-security is unclear right now at best. And that's where we really need to see increasing clarity. So these teams are coming to us and the good ones are coming to us and saying, we think this can happen, that our token will eventually be a non-security. And, but we're not betting on when it will happen. We've got guesses. We're going to do our best, but given the lack of clarity, we can't say directly. We still see a lot of teams coming to us and saying, you know, we're going to run the sales of security, which is good. But then they say, and in three months, we're going to launch our network. It's going to be a non-security. We're going to distribute it really widely to lots of people. And our perspective right now is that you just can't know that for sure at this point. And so there is still some uncertainty. And just one last thing I would tag on there is that um, for our model, that is those are all the ones that we've supported so far as ones where they're selling a security. It's intended to be a non-security at some point. We're also very open and looking forward to this trend of securities tokens. So tokens that are sold as securities and then are intended to always be securities in the future as well. Uh, you can think about something like tokenized real estate or tokenized revenue streams. That's a trend we're really excited about on top of this trend of uh, selling securities that in the future represent non-securities tokens. Let's go back to what you mentioned about how it's not clear when a token 
or the the promise of a future token that was offered in the SEFT would transition to a non-security. How are you going to launch the networks for the sales that you've already done? Are you going to only open those networks to accredited investors in the beginning and prevent secondary trading in some fashion or, or trading only amongst accredited investors and then at some point lift that restriction? Or are you going to enable sales to anybody right out of the gate? It really depends on what the token network that is launching the network, uh, what, the to- what the company that's launching the token network wants. So we're, we are flexible and open to open to ideas. You know, a number of the sales that we've run have suggested that they won't be distributing tokens that they sold to investors until they have high confidence that their token is in fact non-security. And so that's one perspective is we are going to wait until we feel confident here and then we'll distribute and things will move forward. Other networks have suggested that yes, in the interim, they're more interested in launching the token and you know driving a little bit of liquidity into the market, even if it's solely among accredited investors. So that's a different perspective that we we certainly hear from projects. We are open to uh, either of them, as long as we can get comfortable with them from a legal and regulatory perspective. Um, but we, I wouldn't say that there are, uh, there's a real trend there in either direction. Different tokens have different use cases, and some may just flat out not work if they're only working among accredited investors. Some may, and, and token companies should uh, choose the appropriate path for uh, for their own use case. And you don't have any hint yet from the regulators as to when it might be okay to open up trading amongst <clears throat> amongst non-accredited investors? No, I, definitely no guidance. I think there have been hints. And, and I look back at, again, Bill Hinman's speech where he talked about Ethereum not being a security. And it felt like a lot of his argument rested on the decentralized nature of Ethereum. And so I think that's a, a hint towards what some criteria might be. There are a lot of very smart parties right now working with the SEC and other agencies on getting some more clarity on this and proposing different ideas, whether it's something like a, a safe harbor um, for you know, so-called utility tokens or non-securities tokens and helping to define that carve-out uh, on an administrative basis. There's also people working with legislators to try and define it. And so I think we're going to see a lot of good ideas emerge around how we can get at the core idea of what a security is supposed to be and start to draw a line for this new class of products that really have no precedent in history. We'll discuss further trends and regulatory issues in a moment, but first a quick word from our fabulous sponsors. Imagine this. You dedicate countless hours of hard work to creating a smart contract only to be hacked in mere minutes. If you think that can't happen, think again. We hear that $10 billion has been raised through smart contracts, but over $300 million of that has already been compromised. Hackers are hungry for more, so security is not just critical to your success, it's an absolute necessity. And that is where QuantStamp, the standard for smart contract security, comes in. With a team of security audit experts dedicating to defeating the bad guys, the Quant stamp of approval is your solution for safer smart contracts. Find out how we can be the gold standard for security at QuantStamp.com. OnRamp is a full-service creative and design agency that has helped numerous companies, including many in the blockchain and crypto space, maximize their brand awareness, gain traction, and accelerate growth. Whether you're a startup company launching a new brand or an established brand exploring a new campaign, OnRamp has you covered. OnRamp has a passion for boosting business results and can help with everything from logo and website design to full creative execution. 
Focus on your core technology and leave the rest to OnRamp. To learn more and see how they've helped passionate entrepreneurs achieve their dreams, go to thinkonramp.com. I'm speaking with Andy Bromberg of CoinList. Before the show, you mentioned that you feel like we have a lot more regulatory clarity than other people seem to think. What makes you say that? What, where, where do you see that clarity and, and why, why do you say that? Yeah, I think a lot of what I hear from people is that we have no idea what's going to happen. It's a totally open playing field in terms of regulation. We don't know anything about the, what the future is going to look like. And I feel like that's not true. There are certainly some big outstanding questions that need to be answered, but Right now, there's there's more clarity than people think, and it goes back to what we were just talking about, this idea that a year ago, I think there were two questions that had to be answered consecutively, at least for the securities law issue, which is the most pressing one in the ICO market, in my opinion. And those two questions were, one, is it possible for a token or a, a instrument of some sort to start as a security and eventually become or issue a non-security out of it? And the second question then is, if so, when and how? And how do you define that? And those were two very open questions. And certainly we felt uh, from the beginning of, of the company that uh, the answer to the first one was yes. And we had some opinions about what the answer to the second one looks like. Um, but it was unclear. And in the last year, the SEC has really stepped forward, as has the, the CFTC, to help suggest that the answer to the first question is yes. And there hasn't been formal kind of regulatory action defining that. But there has been enough, again, going back to these uh, statements from uh, Chairman Clayton and from Bill Hinman, that uh, the answer to that question is yes. That is a huge step forward. Now the only question is, how do we draw that line? There was a chance that uh, the decision would be made that that was not possible. And at that point, that would have created huge issues for the industry if everything could have been a security forever. But now that we know that there's a line, it's a question of finding it. That's a uh, an operational question. It's a really hard one to answer. And it's one that's going to take a lot of conversations with the SEC and with other, other agencies and very smart parties. But we just need to figure out where that line is right now. And that's where I think a lot of people still throw their hands up and say, maybe everything's a security, maybe it's all over. And uh, and we feel pretty strongly that the answer to that is no at this point, and that we just now have to find where those lines are and start to define them moving forward. I also think on top of that, there's a number of other issues that need to be resolved. There are taxation issues. There are currency regulation questions. There's questions of how things like the Bank Secrecy Act apply. These are all in my eyes, uh, not deal breakers. They're just things that need to be solved. And as an industry, I think we can get comfortable with basically any solution to most of those problems. We just need to know what those solutions are so that we can implement them and move forward. Yeah, I agree with you that the question of whether or not these tokens would forever be securities was probably the biggest one. And that in a way, all the remaining issues are are more minor. But I, I do think actually it's going to take quite a bit of time to find that line of when something goes from being a security during the sale to then being sufficiently decentralized enough to not be considered a security and all these other issues. So I I don't know if we'll really be seeing answers anytime soon. Um, but anyway, I also wanted to ask you because you do see, as you mentioned, um, so many projects, 2,500, that's an amazing number. What trends are you seeing in terms of what people are trying to build and where things are going in the industry? Yeah, a couple trends. One, and not necessarily what people are trying to build here, but we are now seeing a real bifurcation between high quality projects and low quality projects. I think last year, lots of people were raising money for projects that were good and bad. Investors are now getting much more sophisticated. Ideas of how you conduct diligence on these projects are becoming more clear. 
And so we're starting to see the high quality projects continue to be able to raise the money that they need to raise and the low quality ones be unable to raise. That makes us very optimistic for the future of the industry uh, and is certainly a big trend we're seeing among these projects. But, uh, you know, I think I think in terms of types of projects, it really goes in waves. Certainly this year, we have seen a lot of stablecoin projects and a lot of projects <laughs> trying to solve this kind of medium of exchange question in different ways. Uh, and that's a, that's something we could talk about. It's a, there's a very broad class of, of stable coins there. I also think uh, last year, we really saw more people in this kind of land grab, cash grab, suggesting uh, user-facing applications and just trying to raise money for some interesting-sounding user application that they could come up with, even if there was really no chance that that application would develop any sort of meaningful user base in the near term. This year, I think we've seen a regression in that and that fewer people are proposing these application-level things it's not that we don't think that uh, there will be valuable application level use cases in the future. I think there's just been a realization that the technology and the infrastructure isn't quite there yet to support them. And so a lot of smart people are backing off from that and saying, all right, we're going to wait to build these application pieces until there's better infrastructure and technology. And that's maybe the last category is a real boom in amazing infrastructure uh, and low level solutions to hard technical problems uh, this year. And and I attribute that to you know, the ICO boom really started happening towards the end of last summer and, and into the fall. And I think a lot of very smart people, whether they were academics or, or just really strong engineers and architects, looked at that and said, wow, this is getting really interesting and started to think hard about some of the problems that existed in terms of the infrastructure and low-level technology. And now here we are, call it nine months, 10 months, 11 months later, and some of those solutions are finally coming to fruition and starting to run token sales. And so I think there was a lot of inspiration towards the end of last year, a little bit of a quiet period on that front early this year, while everyone went and started to build their solutions and architect them and figure out how to solve these hard problems. And now kind of coming back above ground to uh, run token sales and start to implement these networks. And I think we're going to see a continued uh, trend of these infrastructure projects in the coming months. Let's go back to what you mentioned about stablecoins. One question that I've been wondering about the stablecoin piece, because you're right, there are just so many of these projects that's kind of, frankly, entertaining, at least for me to watch. <laughs> um, I just wondered, you know, obviously, we've had this theory that for most of these networks, the earlier you are, or if you're a creator, then you can make quite a bit of money because you get a lot of tokens early on when they're at a lower value. And then obviously, as the network grows, your um, your holdings will increase in value in terms of actually dollars. But with stablecoins, um, that isn't necessarily the case, since obviously, the value will remain pegged to um, typically, you know, the, the US dollar price. So why do you think that there is such a race to win this stablecoin competition? Yeah, so I, th I think a lot of the Almost all of the stablecoin projects are actual, actually multiple token systems. So they have a token that is intended to stay stable. Again, like you said, tracking the US dollar or some other uh, basket of goods or something like that. And that token itself, in theory, should the network succeed, is not a great investment. Because like you said, if it works, it will stay at $1. And uh, $1 staying at $1 is not a good deal. But almost all of these networks also have at least one other, if not multiple other, tokens in the network that somehow earns some sort of dividend uh, on the growth of the network. And I'm, I'm being a little bit vague here because they all implement it in, in different ways and, uh, and have different mechanisms for this. But in almost every stablecoin system, 
there is some sort of token that is intended to accrue value in the long term if the system overall increases in value. And so that's most often what these investors are buying into in these token sales is the token that earns dividends or will increase in value when the network increases in value, not investing in the actual uh, stablecoin itself. And so the projects and the investors both are keeping stockpiles or investing in stockpiles of these, call them dividend tokens, but they could be really any sort of structure rather than the actual stable token itself. And that's what they hope to appreciate in value in the long term. So examples of that would be Maker in the MakerDAO system. And I forget the name in the basis system. What, what yeah, that share is? Share tokens. What's that called? Share tokens. Right. Okay. So for listeners who uh, missed the stablecoin episode I did on Unchained, I'll link to in the show notes because it was actually a super fascinating episode. And we had Rune Christensen of of MakerDAO uh, on that show. And we discussed some of these other projects. And I also wanted to ask you, so you were talking about fundamental infrastructure that's being built out. What are some examples of this fundamental infrastructure that you think has been coming into uh, fruition this year? Yeah. So without without digging too, too deep into individual projects, I think some of the problems that we've seen, obviously, there's lots of discussion around scalability. Uh, and so there's a number of projects trying to address various pieces of the scalability problem. And that's, that's going to be a really big component going forward. On top of that, pieces like privacy. How do you transact private data on these blockchains in a way that's efficient, protects users, but also allows for complete information transmission is a really big piece there. I think all of the off-chain computation pieces, some of them are intended to address scalability. Others are intended to help with with speed or involving trusted environments in the ecosystem. Uh, So I think that category is, is really interesting. And then there's a set of financial infrastructure that is less targeted towards other tokens being built on top of it, but I think is necessary because so many of these tokens rely on efficient, effective markets for their ecosystem to work, efficient, effective markets for their token in order for their ecosystem to work. And in order to drive the most efficient and effective markets, you need to have appropriate financial instruments uh, for the investors uh, and, uh, and market makers to play with. And so people building fundamental financial infrastructure, things like derivatives, uh, will be really important going forward for the health of the ecosystems that appropriate markets can be built for each of these tokens. But there's a really broad set of pieces out there. Um, one more I would flag is uh, I do consider, in a sense, stable coins or other uh, low volatility tokens to be an important piece of infrastructure because a lot of these networks do require some sort of stable or semi-stable medium of exchange in order to enable transactions in the network uh, that that makes sense in the long term. And so that sort of development will be helpful for a lot of other token networks moving forward as well. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you on all this, um, all this stuff you said about infrastructure. I've been watching it as well and I think it's really interesting what's being built. Um, well, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast episode. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Elaine Zelby, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.